I planned to go to law school after I graduated, but uh, looks like my folks won't have enough money to put me through college. Well, the world needs ditch diggers, too. Scaling business plans Then I became the CEO man Are you ready to be mentored by some of the best minds in entrepreneurship in the world? Then you're listening to the right podcast, Ditch Digger CEO. We're going to be interviewing CEOs and founders who will be telling their amazing rags-to-riches stories. These entrepreneurs who dominate the industries they serve will be sharing the secrets to their success. We'll be talking to millionaires and billionaires, many who started with nothing. You're going to be mentored with golden nuggets of shared experiences from my guest, whose time is worth thousands and even tens of thousands of dollars per hour. I started in the paving business right out of high school, and with no college education, mentorship has been my education of choice. I started over 25 companies in the last 20 years, have generated over $1.5 billion in revenues. My guarantee is this. If you listen to Ditch Digger CEO and you want to be more successful, you will become more successful. The secrets of my success and for many of the world's greatest business leaders will be revealed. Let Ditch Digger CEO mentor you. So, uh, so we hook up with this timeshare uh, guy, and um, the, after the first guy went out, and uh, 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 so this second guy, and this guy is a rowdy. He's not a boisterous guy, but he's just a he's a real cowboy, a real entrepreneur. Hey, let's try this. All right, let's go. <laughs> you know, let's do it. And. Uh, so we started really developing that timeshare lead generation thing for the, you know specifically for that highway station for that tourist uh, station, mm-hmm. and really 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 got it dialed in, really got it dialed huh. in. And he said uh, he said you know I'm uh, uh, he said you do a lot of work over in Pigeon Forge Tennessee right? And I said yeah I got some acts over there and I, you know with the entertainment stuff. He goes um, he bought me some land over there I'm going to build a <laughs> resort. He goes you want to do one of those stations over there? And I said yeah. So we went and got a station. Actually, we bought one of Dolly Parton's old stations, oh. which she sold her stations off. And we got the AM, and then another another buddy of mine, great, great guy, Paul Fink, bought the FMs, WDLY, and, and the other one we bought, WSEV. And uh, so we uh, took that station. We did the exact same format, exact same format. And, again, the format sounded live. So mm-hmm. it was always, hey, folks, Ken Emmons here. You're on your way to the Great Smoky Mountains. Ken Emmons here, your voice of the Great Smoky Mountains. You're on your way to the Smoky Mountains. You want to make sure you got your best deals. And we've got a little welcome center south of, you know, uh, south of the highway. And same thing we did, same business model. Yeah. And we entertained the heck out of people as they were coming in. Huh. And going back to my Lowry music days, there was a comedian down there. His name was Milton Crabapple. And he was a guy who would call in on, on W... Uh, uh, no, I'm drawing a blank on 7:50 a.m. down there. He would he would he would draw in or he would call into this show called the Ludlow Port Show, and he talked like this and he had the corniest jokes, you know. And and that sounded more like Bill Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> this guy sounded more like Yul Brynner than yeah, jokes too, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, Dan. But uh, but the funniest. He is one of the funniest, funniest, funniest guys. And Bill Lowry had signed him as kind of a regional act, but they can never break him out um, uh, nationally as a comedy act. You know, comedy acts are hard to break mm-hmm. out nationally. I think the first real national breakout from a record was Jeff Foxworthy, you know, back then. Yeah, yeah. And so Bill was kind of jumping on that bandwagon with the, with uh, with the Milton Crabapple. And Milton Crabapple, also a great entrepreneur you should have on here, and I'll tell you his real story in a, in a minute. But as this personality, Milton Crabapple, he had this great homespun comedy that was clean as a whistle. I mean, absolutely clean. Funny, I mean, just funny. It was jokes. You know, it was just this corny guy. And that became the staple of both of those radio stations. And then the third station we did in Myrtle Beach. We did the same thing in Myrtle Beach. But uh, just duplicated the format. But I noticed that people would come in and they wanted to know, where can I, is Milton Crabapple, does he have a show? Where can I see him? That's the funniest stuff I've ever, this constantly wow. our ticket sellers in there are, are constantly telling us my is he ever yeah, gonna where's play the show anywhere? where's the show at oh yeah, yeah the funny thing about it was up until 10 years ago he had never been to pigeon forge never been to, he's never been to branson never been to myrtle beach yet he was like the radio star for all the tourists coming mm. in this amazing amazing uh you know branson business uh no, it was just like. one of those weird kind of things and uh 
you know, identifying it and then, you know, putting the programming together and making it so it was sticky. But again, this comic, Milton Crabapple, uh, still not known nationally, but known there every place. And every they were, people were responding to the comedy. Yeah, they were coming in for the free soft drinks and great deals on tickets and things like that. But they were responding to the comedy. Everyone wanted to know, is he playing in town? Does he have a theater in town? Like, we didn't have the art to tell him. He's never even been here. But... Uh, <laughs> Uh, but anyway, um, so with uh, Milton, uh, well, his name is actually Hal Coleman. I'll tell you his entrepreneurial story in a minute. But uh, uh, with his permission and Bill Lowry's permission, because again, they were it was they had Bill had produced it was Bill and Bill Ander, Bill Lowry and Bill Anderson had produced like six comedy CDs on him. But again, outside of regional Barnes and Nobles and things like that, they weren't selling. And uh, I said, mind if I take the best of, we make a CD, and I give a free CD away to anyone that comes into our welcome center, and I'll play it like crazy. Because they were already, people were, were trying to find CDs after they'd heard them on the radio. That's funny. So we did these, you know, I don't know, they cost us maybe 20 cents a piece or 25 cents a piece, you know, a, C- a CD. I'll send one to you guys. Um, with the best of, and again, it had the, you know, the corniest jokes in the world. And if we had more, if more time on here, I'd tell you one of his jokes. The jokes are just the, the goofiest, but the funniest. But uh, anyway, um, so we did that, and all of the CDs are just, we're ordering by the like cases and cases and cases. People are stopping in. That drives our sales up, that drives our timeshare bookings up, and that kind of stuff. So, um, so those things just... Can we, can we still get a copy of the, one of these? CDs? I'm going to get you one. I mean, actually, I've got CDs, a couple I don't have left. Any play I'm going to Well, you know, the stations, everything sold. I'd sold uh, uh, to the timeshare uh, companies because, you know, they were the biggest customer and all that kind of stuff. I sold with a contract to operate for them, and I operated for them for years. And uh, again, uh, they ended up selling their company in 2015, uh, you know, to a bigger company. But... Um, I do have a handful of those CDs, and I'll send you guys one. They're just great. You guys want to hear like one of the jokes? Yeah, I want? one sure. joke. Go ahead. This is how corny the joke, but they're the greatest. So uh, one of one of the jokes is uh, uh, this old redneck guy gets a dinner invitation to go to this uh, really fancy restaurant, and he shows up, and he gets there, and the maitre d says uh, says, "You know, sir," he said, "You have to have a tie to get in here." He said, "What?" He said, "That's right." So you have to have a tie to get in this place. Oh, Milton Crab out there. Well, he goes, uh, I don't have a tie. He went, went out to his car, and he looked around his car, and all he had was a pair of jumper cables. So he put that pair of jumper, ca- jumper cables around his neck and tied him up, best knot he could tie, and walked back in. And he said, how's that? The maitre d' said, those are jumper cables. He goes, well, you know, it's as close as I got to a necktie. And he said, I'm not leaving this place. I got dinner with some friends, and I ain't leaving. The guy said, well, all right. He said, I'll let you in. He said, you sit over there in that corner, and don't you try to start nothing. <laughs> so it's about 30 minutes of that <laughs> so uh so that was a good try took you a little while yeah, no, so think. uh so anyway uh <laughs> so it took off and i noticed you know i noticed one we had a great business model and by the way i want to if i could since it's kind of a businessy show and it's about innovation and entrepreneurs innovating. Yeah. Uh, this is a really great point that I really don't talk about that much, but I think is is well worth any entrepreneur or budding entrepreneur to know. So, you know, initially I thought, okay, I'll go up and I'll find a radio station in that market that is, uh, you know, that doesn't have any radio, it doesn't have much in the way of ratings, that's not making a lot of revenue, and I'll partner with one of the bigger radio station groups, you know, somebody else. And I found quite a few in that market that didn't have much in the way ratings. And I said, hey, I got this idea. Here we do this, blah, 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 blah. And we'll do a revenue share. And these are stations that were only grossing maybe 50, 100, 150,000 a year or something like that. And the people, you know, again, these are, you know, bigger company. They'd have to run it up the company ladder and stuff. And it always came down to, well, you're never going to get ratings with a station like that. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not looking for ratings. It's like, well, you, how are you going to get revenue if you don't get ratings? I said, well, I got it right here. Yeah, but you'll never get ratings with that. And I said, but again, I'm not looking for ratings. Ratings, you know, you have to have local people that are listening all the time. And, mm-hmm. you know, back then they would, you know, the 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 uh, ratings company would send you a little, you know, diary and you would diary when you listen. Uh, and I said, this is not about ratings. This is about people coming in. Couldn't get it past them that, Okay, you got this radio station that's grossing a hundred thousand dollars a year at best, maybe fifty, and I'm showing you a clear path to doing more than your FM stations are doing. 
Yeah, but it'll never get ratings. <laughs> I finally huh. just said, okay. And that's when I went. And I went down to my buddy, my banker buddy, uh, down in uh, uh, down in uh, Flippin', Arkansas. Also an interesting guy. Very interesting story. Um, and I told him what I was up to. And he loaned me the money. And we bought the radio station. And then I'll, and I think to this day, a lot of those people, and by the way, a lot of those Springfield broadcasters are really good friends of mine and, and mentors, too. Became ment- radio-type mentors. <laughs> Uh, you know, from the from the operational side of it, because I didn't know anything about it, and uh, but I think a lot of the other ones are kind of scratching their head, going, "Now, how the heck are you <laughs> making money on that thing?" <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. but yeah. Uh, but it was one of those things, yeah, and never, it was so outside gonna, of the box. He's never gonna get ratings. You're saying yeah, still, you, you ain't never gonna get ratings on that thing. <laughs> so, what would you say for like again, startup, seasoned entrepreneurs, things of that sort, where uh, you know they're looking to go outside of the box or have their own blue ocean of sorts? Maybe what are some of those? Because um, you gave a, an amazing story throughout the whole gamut of it. What are probably some things that you would say to, for entrepreneurs today? Like, hey, look, think about this as you're looking to innovate or look into the blue, ash and, uh, blue ocean aspect of things. Well, you know, this is interesting. Gary and I have had this conversation many times, I think. But, you know, an entrepreneur is the... We're 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 always looking at the fifty thousand foot view when we come up with, when we come up with an idea that's sort of out of our wheelhouse. So we're you know we're not far enough into the woods to to have our brain go. Oh, you can't do that can't because do, of this. Can't you can't do it because of that. You can't do it because. And so uh, so we're far enough out of it where you go, man. I see this great market out here, and you know my advice to entrepreneurs is pursue that. Before you go in, and uh, you, you do want to go get the information from the woods. So go to the woods, like like in that particular case, um, you know, uh, the, I needed some information from those folks that were that were still going. Well, you ain't never going to get ratings. Well, yeah. <laughs> right, but I needed I needed you know you want to make sure that you're not doing anything really stupid. But if you see a market and you see something that's not being served, you just have to you need to do it, and you need to stick with your vision of it. You can certainly adjust, but don't ever let somebody who's sort of in that industry or whatever dictate to you that can't be done because of this. Yeah, you know, because re- it so just, re- respect the the old school industry experts, right? Respect them. Respect them, and but, also bring also, them close to you because they'll be some yeah. of your greatest resources. And uh, you know, uh, you know, again, one of my buddies down there, he's I think he's ninety six now. Uh, he's just one of the greatest broadcasters in the Midwest. He's just a great, great guy. And I always his name is Ken Myers, and I love him. I saw him in July. And he's 96. He and his wife passed away quite a few years ago, but they were great entrepreneurs, and they built a big broadcast company down there. They had stations in St. Louis and TV stations, too. <laughs> uh, but I always kid Ken about this. He was one of the first ones that said, he ain't never going to get ratings. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, so you respected him and the, and the, old, him. the old school industry people. You, you Absolutely. Had to, you had to you know, learn from them, right? Yeah. But yet, but you, you wanted to disrupt the industry and, and, and think differently. And well, you know what's so came funny? came in thinking differently. We didn't even learned. disrupt anything because we didn't yeah, take yeah, a nickel true. out of that's their true. pockets because they weren't getting those kind of dollars anyway. Those local broadcasters weren't getting dollars from where we were getting it, so we didn't, you know, we didn't step on anybody's feet. Mm-hmm. They, outside of seeing the billboards, they didn't even know it existed. You huh. see the billboards, they could tune to the station, but you know, we were just this, we were just another advertising outlet for the shows in Branson or the shows in Pigeon Forge and Gatlinburg or the shows in Myrtle Beach. And did you see this model somewhere else? Did you? Did you? Was there just at Disney? That, just that? Just a that Disney, little it, tiny little Disney th- station, the Disney Park Radio or whatever it was like. And it was you, you remember those things, right? You, the little signs. So they're just little tiny signs as you're going through the Disney parking lot, tuned to Disney Radio and. But again, not the Disney Kids Channel, that Kids Network. Mm-hmm. This is strictly for the park, for the park. So. People are in the. They don't even have billboards out. It was just a little sign. Those little signs that said, you know, tune in to see what's going on today or that kind of a thing. Just a little tiny. Look like a. Yeah. Yeah. But I just kind of felt like, you know what? You're going on vacation. You want to know what's going on. You know, you for years. You know, I would see going into these vacation markets. You would see those rack cards. You know, the big racks that have the little cards of you know attractions coming up you probably see them in the rest areas here and stuff like that where they're little brochures those Mm -hmm. brochures so those things they they fly off the shelves and i kind of felt like you know if they're flying off the shelves people really are hungry for this information then when i'd done my little bit of intel with my disney folks down there they were talking about yeah everyone listens to that thing matter of fact back then i don't know if it's still if they even still have it but back then 
a lot of those shops would fight to get on, like the shop managers or little restaurant managers, mm-hmm. in park, you know, managers. Sure. And stuff. They would fight to get on it because their business would rise, uh, clearly rise very quickly, rapidly. They told someone told me, I don't know if it's true or not, but I heard it from two people that I'll just use this as a an example. This is not a true example, but it, I'll use it as a, um, the Disney Magic Shop, you know, popular spot. They could put the ad on, and their sales would double the next day, and then double again the next day. And then they would take the ad off, and their sales would go in half, and then go in half. <laughs> that being, you know, the average uh, time spent at Disney, I guess, parks is two or three days all in. So if they buy a pass for two or three days or whatever, so right. I guess they would hear it, and they would either go in the first day or the second day, goes off the air. So it's not front of mind, so it goes mm-hmm. off and off again. Right. So with this particular thing, the way we formatted this, you know, we had ads. We also, as we developed a more robust programming schedule, which didn't cost any more than the initial thing, uh, I would go in three times a year. I was always the voice of these things, which saved us a fortune. So I didn't have, and uh, um, it was funny. I'd ask, you know, my buddy Bob Eubanks, right? Mm-hmm. So Bob, Bob you. would come in, and you got to get Bob on this show. I can't wait to talk to Bob. He's one of the greatest entrepreneurs, yeah. and to me, has one of the greatest voices. Actually, two of my buddies that are radio guys, Bob. And Rick D's you need to have on the show because they're both mega entrepreneurs and great voices. But anyway, so Bob, uh, we had the we had game shows called the twenty five thousand dollars game shows that were live shows running at uh, one in Branson, one in uh, uh, Pigeon Forge, uh, I think one in Nashville when Opryland Park was still there and stuff. So Bob would come in and just do some voice stuff for me when he was in Branson, huh. and Bob was like why don't you voice these? And I'm like, are you kidding me? It's like, he goes, dude, you got a great voice. And I'm like, no, he goes, no, seriously, come in. And so that's how I happened to start voicing those things myself rather than trying to hire people. Name to do three it. of the biggest shows Bob Eubanks did. So the audience knows. Uh, newlywed game was the biggest. Uh, then he had some other game shows and stuff. The thing that people don't know about Bob, they know him by the, where is the wildest place you ever made whoopee? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not in a canoe, by the way. It's, uh, it's uh, you know, and then you know the answer to the question. If you don't know the answer to the question, Google it and you'll see. Uh, uh, but anyway, um, uh, what people don't know about Bob is he was a he is a serial entrepreneur. He got the newlywed game by accident, and but that's what he's known for. He uh, managed Dolly Parton, Barbara Mandrell, the Lennon sisters, wow. uh, produced most of Merle Haggard's live concerts. Did you ever meet Dolly Parton? Oh yeah. Yeah, she, yeah. Well, she she lives over. What's in with this girl? She's like eighty years old. She still looks forty. You know, she's a fox. I ran into her at Nobu here in Malibu a while back. Oh, she that. is a fox at nine hundred years old or whatever she is. And she <laughs> looks crazy. Well, she do yeah. this. I don't know. You know, a lot of it is. I think it's just her outlook on life positive, and her love of life and she's you. so sweet yeah. and so kind and so happiness just of yeah she's just great I mean, she generates yeah. goodness i mean she's wherever she's at totally, she's totally uh, a great attitude just yeah always grat- always has gratitude for everything around her she, she does says, yeah. and you know she i just find her to be amazing she's one of those she's like you she's like a rabine she's like yeah. no i mean you generate light where you go you know you you want you, people are drawn to that and uh but she does it in a way that's from her heart. Yeah, you know, it's not like a showbiz. It's kind of like that thing with uh, um, the other night, you know, where uh, Marsha was at. You know, they, she draws people with her heart, not, mm-hmm. you know, oh, come and see me. It's like people want to go yeah, connect wanna, with their heart, too. Be, yeah, and she's that way. Right. And she's a monster entrepreneur, like oh, yeah, yeah. big entrepreneur. So anyway, where were we going? With? Oh, it's so, yeah, so, so sorry, so sorry after, to interrupt that. But yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, so after the um, so after, I guess after you sold off. Uh, well, you said you actually. Well, actually, let's go back because I because those we kept for a long time and then sold to the uh, timeshare company and then operated the format for them for a long time. But what I found in that, and again, here's where it, that was rocket level number one. Rocket level number two was recognizing that everyone was responding to comedy mm-hmm. on the radio. And, you know, the morning shows always had their comedy bits for you up here. For instance, I used to love to when I was a kid and I was mowing yards and part of my time was mowing yards and part of my time was working in the oil field. I could, I could have my earphones on and listen to, I could, during the daytime, we could get Larry Lujak and yeah. Tommy Edwards out yeah, here. Right. And so, you know, you'd listen to all the funny stuff like animal stories and all, you know, all the crazy things. Little Tommy, right? L- little Tommy, little yeah. Tommy Edwards and Larry Lujak yeah. and uh, all the crazy things they had. And, you know, so you had comedy like that on the radio, but nobody necessarily doing stand-up comedy. And I'm listening to how and watching, like with my own eyeballs, 
how people are responding to comedy on the radio. Now, you've got, you know, at the time you had, you know, of course, all the music formats that you had forever. You got your religious formats out there. Um, you know, Rush revived AM radio with, with his political talk. Uh, then sports talk kind of came along. Rush actually started more as a sports guy and then, you know, evolved into political talk. So you had all these different formats out there. But I, I didn't really feel like you had enough formats to cover uh, all of the uh, uh, all the stations that were out there. You know, years ago, you had limited stations. Now you didn't have that much. So I thought, how interesting would it be to do a 24-7 comedy radio format? In other words, where it was 24-7 comedy, just like music. And I quickly found out how and why it wasn't done. Uh, it was a licensing issue. So music, so when you own a radio station or you, uh, you own a lot of real estate, you own this building, for instance, uh, you probably pay an ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC thing, or if you had a restaurant or something, where you, you're basically licensed to play any kind of music you want to. So radio stations do the same thing. So there are these three performing, three main performing arts societies, uh, ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC, and they represent the publishing companies and the mm. songwriters, and they collect royalties through a sampling thing, and however many times your song was played, uh, it goes into a pot and all the money, like the radio station, we pay a certain percentage of, of uh, our revenue, small, very minute percentage of our revenue into the pot and it gets split out, you know, between songwriters and publishing companies and stuff. So anyway, so it, so any radio station, provided they've got a license, can play any kind of music yep. anytime, paying that fee. Comedy, back in the old days, uh, you had all these great albums that date back to Moms Mabley and, you know, you know, uh, Bob Newhart and all the way through, you had all these different, uh, there were, it meant, in fact, there were almost 10,000 comedy albums made that we could track up until that time in the, in the late nineties when we started the network, but none of those, very few of those record licenses, uh, or very, very few of those were registered at with ASCAP, BMI or CSAC. Okay. So it was questionable who had the rights or if you had the rights to play it. So what I did is I thought, I want to start this, I want to launch this 24-7 uh, comedy format nationally, and um, we got to figure this out. So you know Howard Levine, one of, my, one of our partners in our, in our network. Mm -hmm. um, so this is back in 96, 97, 98. It was 97, I guess. Um, talked to Howard. I'd met Howard through Dick Clark, a whole other entrepreneurial Branson story. Remember that guy, and Dick Clark? No. <gasps> oh man! What? How old are we? Oh Dude. my goodness! <laughs> oh my goodness! Dick Clark. Uh, I know Dick Clark. He's the gold standard. So, uh, so anyway, uh, uh, Dick Clark. Tell him where Dick Clark came from. Uh, Dick Clark, the American Bandstand. Uh, every uh, he was the, actually he was a a mentor of Ryan Seacrest, and Ryan now does the New Year's Eve thing. That was Dick Clark to start with. Ryan had two great mentors. He had uh, first and foremost Merv Griffin, and then uh, Dick Clark. You know, kind of yeah. jumped on the bandwagon there too with him. And okay, so hey, anyway, look him up, buddy. Twenty five thousand dollar pyramid, which after the Carter's inflation became the hundred thousand dollar pyramid and all yeah. that kind of stuff. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, so we figured out that we had to go license these things in order to get airplay on it. And so we, I started with the record labels, and I lucked out, lucked, lucked, lucked out with two different guys. It just happened that somebody, a friend of mine, my age, didn't know that well, but had hit it off and had really had a lot of insane experiences at the at radio conventions. His name is Andy Schoen, and Andy had just taken over as president of Warner Brothers Records, and Warner had the biggest comedy catalog of anyone. They had four or 5,000 albums, a massive catalog. And so I called Andy, and I said, here's my idea. And again, they've got all these albums, comedy albums, that are doing nothing but drawing dust. You know, they, they had all the rights to them. And these are great albums. These are albums that you and I grew up with, you know, Steve Martin, all the different. Yeah. And um, I told him what I wanted to do. And I figured, he, I, I said, I need to license it. And he said, well, here's the thing. He goes, we've got, you know, four or 5,000 of these. Each one has a contract. Uh, we have to dig through every contract to see who's got the license. I love comedy. Let's do it. And I said, well, what, I said, well, what would you charge me? He goes, are you kidding me? He goes, we've, he said, that's just like having songs that are not getting played on the radio. He goes, look, you, you start playing these things and you sell a couple of albums. That's more albums than we have, would have sold before. He goes, so he actually had some of his folks go through and got a pretty general idea of 
you know, where the record labels had the right to sign off the broadcast mm-hmm. rights and where they did, they gave it to us. And where the where they didn't and the comedians were still alive or it wasn't public, to, they said they gave us the contact information for a lot of these comedians, which is how I got to know George had George Carlin's last interview. As a matter of wow. fact, I got to know a lot of these guys, you know, personally, because I had to go to them to get their licenses. Sure. So Andy stepped up. Great, great guy. Andy, by the way, was uh, uh, second banana at MTV for quite some time and uh, just a really, really sharp guy. So he stepped up. And then the second largest comedy catalog was um, Rhino Records, who sold to Warner Brothers a few years after this. Richard Foos, who now owns Shop Factory, was the founder of Rhino Records. And he had a young guy that was his head A&R guy who was a comedy savant. And he went crazy over the idea, too. And they did the same thing. Wow. At their expense, went through all their licenses, signed off what they had, gave us the contacts where they didn't have. This guy's name was Jim Neal, who was also a great guy. And so with that, we had seven or 8,000 albums under our belt, and we were able to start the all-comedy format. This was before Sirius XM and all that kind of stuff were, were around. So you, had, you had way more content than you needed at this point. Never could. It was still to this day. Yeah. yeah. Can't get through it. No, so much of it. And so we uh, we started the network. We raised $10 bucks. We started the network. Um, Sirius XM came along. They needed content. We supplied that with them to the point where, for a while, we had our own channel. We had uh, licensed the radio brand of National Lampoon, so we had National Lampoon Comedy Radio. You know, you know National Lampoon? Not to Q, be confused Q. with the... You know National Lampoon, right? <laughs> Is that a... <laughs> wait, wait, wait. wait. You, you don't know National oh Lampoon? Ain't that a movie? Oh, my... Yeah. Well, it's a movie, too, oh, okay. yeah. It, it, was a, yeah. it was a movie brand. It was there was, a yeah. magazine, but, movie brand, on and on and on, right? But the guy that... The, the guy that initiated... At one time... Totally time, different culture. I'm sorry. So. Oh, dude. It's not a culture. Yeah. I think it's an age thing, Gary. Yeah, that's I think, age. We're, that's I think we're aging out, dude. Yeah. So, uh, so Jim Jamiro, who, you know, also on the board of our company with, uh, Jim, uh, was the founding CEO. He's the found, the creator and founding CEO of the Disney channel. Great. Oh, guy. wait, wait. Have you heard of the Disney channel? I do know about the Disney <laughs> channel. <laughs> Disney. We're getting somewhere now. All right. I walked into Q's office. He still got Miley Cyrus, uh, uh posters from the nineties. So I know he knows the Disney channel. Oh, yeah. So, uh, there you go. <laughs> or was she Nickelodeon? No, she was Disney. Yeah. She was a Mouseketeer, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm a rug rat person, so. Oh uh, no! Yeah. So uh, so anyway, so uh, uh, so we licensed that name, and uh, Jim eventually sold the company to a couple of scoundrels. But we already had the you know radio brand and stuff, and uh, uh, so that's how we kind of really launched into. So it was our like '97. Uh, yeah, lo- went on the air in '99. '99, and uh, and then syndicated. How we, long were you? Um, you know, are you CEO of this company? Uh, was, was CEO, and then the um, uh, there was a hedge fund that actually backed us. Some really good folks out of Northern California. Um, this is when the internet bubble was just it was just growing and growing. You know, the bubble had not burst, and it was growing and growing. And every and at the time, there were only about five or seven or something like that percent of households that had broadband internet sure. access. So everything was dial up and clunky and all that kind of stuff. But these folks felt there was a big digital play to be had over the next couple of years. I was more of a revenue guy. I've always been, look, I know on radio, on terrestrial radio, I know that there's a revenue market there. Mm-hmm. It's a great revenue market. Our our product is low cost. In other words, you know, our cost of production is low cost and stuff. Uh, I know that. So they bought us. We had, Howard and I had a big exit uh, out, of, uh, um, out of that where they bought the digital side and uh, we ended up, uh, uh, they ended up, by the way, hitting the wall a few years later, like a lot of those internet companies did. Again, same reason we didn't want to go straight into digital. Uh, so we ended up uh, with three other brands, comedy brands, and we put it out there into syndication. We've so, sold so them you, off you over guys, the years. So you guys sold in 2000 what? Uh, that would have been 2000, late 2000, maybe early 2001, something like ah. that. And had a decent exit, and then, but we were able to keep the terrestrial side of it. So with the terrestrial side, we had a couple of other brands. We had uh, an all-comedy radio brand, a National Lampoon brand that was a very hot brand uh, that was, you know, had our own Sirius XM station for years. Up until Sirius XM merged, uh, we had uh, Channel 154, and we programmed exclusively very hot talk, like hot talk. <laughs> and, uh, but, and so that gave What's us- What's hot talk? Well, that, that was comedy we couldn't run on the radio. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, uh, and of course, we had an unlimited supply of that, too, because this yeah. catalog was massive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, 
so we had that, and uh, that was really in you know Sirius XM. Uh, actually, we were partnered with Clear Channel with Premier in that particular channel, and so as uh, Sirius XM merged, they had to squeeze out of that. We got a payday, and it kind of evolved like that, and wow. so. Um, it was a great ride, a fun, fun ride, but kept us in the comedy space. Yeah. Through that, uh, you know, wound up into television and infomercials and that kind of thing. But uh, let's, infomercials. Let's go, the, go to the infomercial now, Mr. Entrepreneur. Crazy, oh, crazy Hollywood entrepreneur. You know, there's nothing too, I mean, it's, it's all entrepreneur, but nothing too wild about it. Probably the least sexy business I've ever been in in my entire life, <laughs> but it's really fun. You know, it's a if fun business because you, uh, you know, if you think back to it, when I started those vacation format networks, yeah. or I mean not network stations, yeah. those were direct response. They were nothing but direct response uh-huh. because we were yeah. using our airwaves and, and messaging to drive people into those welcome centers to buy tickets, to book for timeshare, and that type of thing. Same thing. We were basically putting a message out there, asking people to respond. They came in and purchased. And, you know, for me, it came naturally. And something I found, too, is that over with all of our media outlets over the years that we've done, I've never had to rely on ratings ever. At most radio stations, television stations, yeah, yeah. cable networks, what they do is they say, oh, well, they go out, they send their salespeople out to sell and they sell on ratings. Uh, here's our audience, which is hypothetical. I mean, yeah, maybe that's our audience. Maybe it's not. <laughs> but um, uh, with us and they take they take their best inventory and they sell it like that. You have a, have three big things going on with that. One, you have a rep firm you have to go through that takes 20%. Two, you have a sales rep that takes 20%. Maybe a sales manager in there somewhere too. Then you have a collection issue. So you've got these risks yeah. and these, these big payouts you have to do. The way I discovered the direct response business was with the first radio station in Springfield, Missouri. This is going to sound like insane, but it's true. A guy walks in. And we are in this crappy building. I mean, next to a, what was a gay club and then turned into a strip club right next to us down on, on College Avenue. I think it was 610 College Avenue in, in Springfield. It was the worst part of old, now downtown is beautiful, but back then. And guy walks in and he's got a briefcase and really, you know, bad fitting suit. The whole, you know, typical, you know, stereotypical sales guy, trunk of his car sales guy. And he tells uh, the girl there at the front, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm here to buy, uh, I, I want to buy some radio spots. And she said, okay, well, let me get somebody. I happen to be there. And Vonda, the, my sales gal, was there. And uh, she, he, the guy tells us the same thing. Yeah, I'd like to buy radio spots. Well, you're in luck because we're selling them. So uh, I think, you know, match made in heaven here. So we laugh. And, he's, and then he tells us how he's going to buy them. He said, here's how I buy radio spots. You know, he said, um, I'll have a product. Say, for instance, it's a... Um, I don't know, memory cassette, which happened to be one of them. You know, the set of of cassettes that, you know, here's how you improve your memory kind of a thing. I bought those before. Yeah, Kevin Trudeau's Mega Memory. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. And so, anyway, so he's got that, and he's got about 50 other products in there. And they're all, hey, you know, know, blah, 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 whatever the pitch is. Call 1-800-da-da-da-da-da. Don't forget now, 1-800. If you call now, you get. And they were all like that. They're all radio spots. He said, well, here's how we pay you. Every time somebody buys something, it's going to be on your own 800 number. You're, you know, and we're going to track that honor system. Every time somebody buys something, you get 50 bucks or you get 25 bucks or you get whatever. Or if it's a application or a, a lead generation where they get a name that's that's so you had to take uh, some risk with we them. Get, so yeah. You're going to take some risk with them. Though, yeah. To do it. And, uh, but I'm sitting here thinking, okay, you know what? At the time, we only had about 60 or 70% of our inventory sold which is more than most radio stations. But uh, I thought this could be kind of interesting. So I'll buy things that maybe tourists would think, hey, y'all write that number down. And mm-hmm. so I would, so I started, you know, picking out some products and I, you know, some were just total turds and then some really worked where we were go, we'd get checks in for, you know, thousand dollars or, you know, 1200 bucks or 500 bucks, money, free money basically. Yeah. And I started thinking, man, this is really a great way to do this if I had, if I had stations that weren't necessarily, obviously our tourism, you know, that that's where the real money was yeah. at. But I started, and I kept in touch with this guy. And as I started getting other media properties where we had inventory, I started kind of putting that up front because I found that if I picked the right product and did the right at the right and ran it at the right times and things like that, I could outperform any of my salespeople going out and selling 
through a rep firm, mm-hmm. through a salesperson with collection issues. So we could out we could outpace that. We could yeah. way outperform that. And so then I started, you know, through that guy, uh, you know, I started started this little thing where I would hook other radio small radio station group owners up or you know small cable companies up or whatever it may be and it really worked out to be a business that i loved and then when i got to los angeles and we were you know full on in the media business and we had production facilities we could use a reasonable cost then we started product selling products on television and i concentrated mostly on uh infomercial kind of products for instance Mm -hmm. we had adam ginsburg's uh secrets of an auction millionaire (laughs) which was just a great seller you know it was back when ebay was getting on and adam was the first guy to ever break a hundred first guy to ever break a million dollars a year on ebay and he did it by selling pool tables of all things he would he had deals with manufacturers deals with people on the ground and he would sell them sell them on ebay manufacturer would drop ship to to q's house and then somebody from q's neighborhood would come over set it up and adam got the spread nice so he taught people how to sell on ebay he actually made a lot of people a lot of money so we had that as an information product we had greg secker we had uh who was you know big trading guy uh how how he trades uh stocks and things like that had some real estate guys um, what was this called what was this business called greg secker no your business oh just kent direct kent direct yeah been the same business for years yeah kent direct you still got it yeah Really? Yeah. I don't even know that. So yeah. I don't know about my that's buddy. my that's my business. Huh? And, so so do a, uh, do an infomercial on a, on selling concrete asphalt parking lots. You know, folks, you're going out in your parking lot right now. There's a big crack out there. That's a crack you don't want to see. Probably other ones out there you don't want to see too. But that's one in particular you do not want to see. You know what could happen? That could turn into a that could turn into one of those great big. What do you call it when the earth opens up? Well, a sinkhole bottle. That could be a sinkhole. You could be the victim of that sinkhole. <laughs> Listen, you know, for 50 bucks a month, Raybine will actually take care of your part. They'll come by every month. They'll take a look at it. If you got a big crack out there, they'll fill it up. You'll never have to worry about dying of a sinkhole death ever. This will be awesome. Plus, Gary Raybine's a great guy. He'll come in. He'll bring a six-pack of beer over. He'll watch the guys pave. He'll even go out there and help them pave. 50 bucks a month. It's great entertainment and also safety for you and your family. You do love your family, don't you? Then you will pay fifty bucks a month. You'll you'll drop that fifty bucks a month on sinkhole. It's almost like sinkhole insurance, really. Anyway, but uh, the, here's the thing about it, and the reason I use Raybine, by the way, is because you always sell. This is where a lot of these people go wrong. They sell crappy products or they sell stupid things that don't get results. If you stick with products that really get results, and if you got personalities behind the product mm-hmm. that can help sell it. Then, uh, then you typically have a winning thing. We did the Gracie combatives, you know. So you, uh, so you didn't d- take anybody. You wouldn't just take anybody that. Oh uh, God, no. Yeah. I'll tell you one. I didn't take that. I wish I would have. I just didn't really do hard products. That wouldn't. We did a few of them, but I didn't really like hard product uh-huh. like information products. But wh- this is the dumbest dummy on the planet ever. Looking back, guy walks in. By the way, he shopped this to everybody. He's a rep, and he's got this product that's a blanket with a hole cut in it. I'm like, what the hell? And he said, yeah, you know, it'll be, you know, people sitting around the Midwest in the wintertime. And but what do you call it? It's a Snuggie. <laughs> yeah, but it's just a blanket with a hole in it. I could go to Walmart and get that and get a, and a pair of scissors. Make my and, own hole. And I got, exactly. Custom fit for my head. Yeah. And I just, you know, and of course, I there's, I'd bought other products from this guy. I mean, I'd run other products from this guy. Mm-hmm. I just didn't see that one. So that was like, you know, that was one of those that I just did not see coming. <laughs> And, of course, the guy probably has more money than Bill Gates, like, shoved under a mattress somewhere. <laughs> Great under, guy, no, too. Under, under a Snuggie somewhere. Uh, under a Snuggie, <laughs> exactly. Wrapped up in blankets with holes in it. Yeah. And, uh, That's funny. But, yeah, but we always did information products. I always found products that were information products to be interesting because they typically, one, uh, they were aspirational. In other words, they were a way for you to improve. Self-help kind of, right? Self-help, uh, a way for you to improve your own life, a way to, for you to improve your family's life. Um the Gracie Combatives was a great one too. Gracie, uh, Horry yeah. and Gracie started the uh, UFC, and Q, you ended- know that name? UFC? No, Gracie. I know Dana. <clears throat> uh, yeah, they're well, all there's a whole Gracie so family. Gracie out there. was before Dana, oh, right? Okay, and, yeah. and uh, but an amazing, great, great family, inspirational. I mean, wonderful, jiu-jitsu. great jujitsu was their biggest thing, right? Yeah, he invented the the ring, you know, the eight sided ring octagon, and the octagon okay. also. And uh, but I like products like that where these people were great and they were credible and they were fun and they were interesting and people aspired to be them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really, you know, I connected with those kind of products, which I think helped us 
connect with people. And as far as like, you know, people watching this on television or hearing this on the radio, I think you could, I think that sincerity and that connection rings through mm-hmm. when you're selling something like that. So, um, yeah, that was the infomercial business that we, we were able to do. We were able to put out a so lot. So how long were you partners with Bernie? Did Bernie, did, were you partners with Bernie when you went to uh, Branson? Bertie. Oh, Bertie Higgins. The original guy. Bertie partner. Higgins. Yeah. Yeah. So Bertie, uh, I managed him. Okay. Uh, well, we had well, business stuff man- together, okay. but never, yeah, we didn't. You know, he was he was a okay, so songwriter, mostly songwriter and okay. then artist, you know, performer. So yeah. But he's still one of my dearest friends to this day. And right. again, this is like <clears throat> not quite forty years later, but thirty five yeah, years yeah. later or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Okay, so what what what's next? What what do you got going on, dude? What's happening? I know a little bit about it, but explain what uh this this uh, you know, cool, cool uh, next entrepreneurial I've made my living you have and you. you know, built what I built by finding niches and markets. I mean markets that are wide open markets where people are hungry for the product, mostly media product, because that's really, you know, starting with that vacation format. And, uh, you know, there's a massive, like wide, wide open market right now for news in the 18 to 34 year old space. In other words, that 18 to 34 year old demographic, nobody's really serving them with news. And I don't mean news like Fox News or CNN or MSNBC. Those are great. They do what they do. They serve the audiences they serve. Uh, but they serve, you know, older audiences. You know, Fox average age is 68. Um, CNN is not much uh, younger than that, shockingly. And then MSNBC has a you know, relatively small audience except for a couple of their shows. And their audience is a little bit younger still. But it's still average age is over 50. So, but... This 18 to 34-year-old crowd, so some are in college, some are well into their career, they've got this real appetite for news, uh, but there's really nowhere to get it outside of Facebook and things like that. So when you see news with an edge, you see them running to it, flocking to it. For instance, Comedy Central, when Liz, when Liz, uh, Wednesday, when Liz came up with, com- with um, uh, Daily Show, you know, people flocked to that. They love that kind of a thing. And... Um, John Oliver and different things like that. They all have kind of a left spin, you know, of course, but people flock to that kind of a thing. But they really went to it because they wanted to know what exactly was going on and they wanted to be entertained. So there's nobody's doing a news format that's fully live. In other words, actual live where you can uh, be on your phone watching the newscast and actually FaceTime in call your guests, do whatever, and have a fun, interesting discussion about the news. And it's a wide open market. You've got Vice News that's out there. Vice has a $5.7 billion valuation, if you can imagine that. Mm. But it's not it's not, not live. And they do mostly documentary kind of stuff with their little daily things. But the daily things are you know, very left, very odd, awkward kind of things. And they have an okay audience. Uh, and you've got BuzzFeed News and stuff like that. But nobody's doing it live, and nobody's doing it where it's engaging. So we see a market out there that's just massive. I mean, it's just absolutely massive. And, again, the way we were able to launch the Comedy Radio Network is we were able to program cheaper than anyone else. It would have taken, uh, you know, one of the presidents of programming for Clear Channel told me, you know, had we launched that, literally we would have spent $100 million launching that. He said that it would, we would have had to hire all these executives and mm-hmm. use all the same vendors wow. that we use. And, and he yeah, said it would have cost a fortune. Um, same with the vacation format. You know, had one of the one of the bigger groups back then tried it, yeah, they would have had to, you know, stack sure. full of executives and this report and that report and whatever. We were able to come in and just do it. Me. Sure. Me and, you know, five or six guys. And, and so that, this is your plan it. with your network. Tell, tell plan me. with the network. What's is, it yeah. called, man? Come on. I didn't hear, I didn't Are you ready for it? it? Yeah. It's called Crave News. Crave. Because people crave, not rave news. No, no. <laughs> yeah, rave news is a whole nightclub thing. Yeah. Yeah, Q's doing that one, I heard. So I'm going to no. stand. Oh, I don't yeah. want to compete no, with Q. Oh, man. I'm, I'm done with those days. <laughs> So, Craig, so, so Craig, what about, uh, you know, you, you look at, uh, you know, left, right, center, what do you, what do you look at? Here's the thing. Saying? I think in this day and age, for the 18 to 34-year-old crowd, with a few exceptions, I don't think that people look so much at right and left anymore or conservative right. and liberal. Or I, th- I think they look at, they just want authenticity. Right. They want the truth. And now, in my opinion, the truth always tends to lean a little bit right because, you know, people to, who would be considered a little bit right tend to be more pragmatic you know they're factual they think with facts and numbers and uh, folks who tend to be far left far further left 
um, you know, tend to be more feeling. And so, so this is a way to bring actual news, whether it be right, left, indifferent, whatever. It's a real voice of the truth. It's bringing the truth, but it's bringing it in funny. It's, you know, it's funny, it's entertaining, it's conversational, but it's the news headlines. And again, it's authentic. So, is, that's it, what, so is it coming soon or when, when is it? It is. So okay. we're actually formatting it right now, uh, which is exciting, watching how the format's taking shape. And uh, we'll launch uh, probably in late, late November and then uh, be ready for prime time in uh, late December and then start really promoting it in January. Okay. So really, really fun. Matter of fact, you guys have got to come on and have some fun with us too. Be, be commentators for us. You actually have some crazy people investing in this thing. What, what's Gary. It, what's that about? I got this one nut up in Chicago. <laughs> Guy's out of his mind. Yeah. No, I mean seriously out of his mind. You may know him. He fills cracks in parking lots. <laughs> his name is Gary Rabine. You're this, this cat. So it's really interesting. It's, it's but, you, a group. but you got some some old school talent on this team too. To, uh, you know. We've got some, you know, well, Jim Jamera, who I'd mentioned, you know, great board member. Jim, the creator and founding uh, CEO of the Disney Channel. Um, uh, Scott Fry. You know, Scott's been my best friend since we were four years old. Wow. Literally, since we were four and years followed old. followed you in the same, you guys followed each other in the same ministries too. Right? We I mean, did. He, came, yeah. he built one of the greatest, I don't know if you guys ever watched Aqua Teen Hunger Force or Squidbillies or if you've seen Archer and stuff. You know, Scott is one of the, first of all, I actually talked to him last night. I don't know if I told you, I told, he told me to tell you hello, Gary. Uh, Scott has been one, of, uh, one or two of those late nights with us in West Palm yeah. Beach. Sorry. But, um, one of the greatest entrepreneurs ever, and he built this amazing from the ground up, actually from a, a broom closet in the Cartoon Network. They gave him that space to build what's now called Radical Access. He's since sold it. And kind of, I can't say semi-retired because he's very active and he's you know been active in this network, takes on project by project. But he built this massive uh, um, animation company, and he's just very low-key, one of the smartest, most you know deep-thinking guys that you will ever ever come across very creative so i got him got some great board members of course like gary uh scott alderton that's kind of funny you know gary when when gary and i when we were first just developing this thing you know gary and i started talking back i was like i gotta you know jump in this one if you're you know when you get ready let me know <laughs> so of course you know we, gary our friendship grew you know you know th- through those and he fully gets where we're going but it's funny because you know we you know gary and i both tend to be right of center 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 right you know um but we're pragmatic. I mean, we think pragmatically. We think about, you know, news in a way that, you know, getting that information out there in a way that's uh, that's ba- really balanced, you know, not. Yeah, like- I mean, you know, I t- we talked to friends. And I talked to friends since, you know, since you told me about this a few, you know, a few years back. And, and for sure, all, all my friends that are younger friends like Q and, and my kids' friends and all that. They don't listen to any of this. They don't listen to CNBC or CNN or Fox. They're like, yeah, I can't, I can't get the truth there. And and I'm saying, what if? What you, so what if there's yeah. something like this? And I explain, you know, your idea, Kent. And they're like, oh yeah, no, I I listen to that, right? I think I might have mentioned you guys. And it's edgy. You, you know, you got to have that edge. It's got to be a little edgy. Crowd, you got to get that edge. Can't and be the old school, um, uh, you know, um, you know, you know, old old school. You know, all the main stations, CNBC, CBS, ABC, NBC. When you when we listen to news as a kid. You had no, there's no bias. I mean, yeah. they, they were non-biased totally, right? You just heard, you know, they reported the news. And, and but it was kind of boring. You know? Yeah. You know, it's a little boring. As kids, you, you'd listen to it a little bit, but not that much. And your parents would listen to it all the time. And then it became so biased, you know, so biased right and left and whatever, depending on who you listen to. Uh, boy, what what if it was like you're, like we're saying, right? Like you're saying. Uh, you know, Essentially, we're, we're taking the elements of comedy because our guests are yeah. always going to be comedians. We got everything from U.S. senators to comedians, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, pop culture icons and current stars and music stars and stuff like that. But you know what's, what's interesting, Gary? And these... What I'm, the story I'm about to tell is, is you know, people that you and I know, because, you know, we've talked about this, all of us that are, you know, uh, uh, political, we're politically active and, and uh, support people who have got the right message. Um, it's interesting that when we went out to pitch this thing, many people are like, yeah, you know what? Uh, uh, it's really interesting. Uh, you know, these these dang kids nowadays, these kids are crazy as hell, and they're watching all this <laughs> left-wing media and all that kind of stuff. That's, yeah, all these lefties own Hollywood, and, you know, it's a bunch of kids. And uh, so, yeah, so here's what we're going to do. So we're going to launch this news network that's going to be really, really edgy, and it'll bring kids, you know, it'll bring them in. It's not going to be all politics. It's going to be pop culture and all that. And uh, like I like to say, you know, they, they want the news, but they want it with fun and interesting mm-hmm. and edge and that kind of stuff. So the news is kind of the broccoli, and then we dip 
dip it in chocolate, you know, to, to feed it to him. And uh, so you do this pitch, and they yeah, we have this left-wing news. It's crazy as hell. And then you, you talk about it a little bit, and they look at it, and they go, Seven, I was telling Gary at breakfast, seven words I've grown to hate as we've been pitching this. And, of course, fortunately, we've got a great group of investors who really get it in their visionaries. And, again, it's a you know billion, bazillion-dollar market out there. Um, seven words I've grown to hate. Why hell, they's already a Fox News. <laughs> Why hell, they's already a Fox News. And you said, these are guys that are self-made billionaires. And you sit there and go, right. That's why we need 18 to 34-year-old getting in the real news cycle. Yeah, but these Fox News, they got kids on there. They got Tucker Carlson. Well, they do, who I happen to love. But I'm 54. <laughs> and uh, but no, this has been. I think this will be just a monster business. One um, again, if if you take a look at the any indication of like Vice News, which again those guys operate like a Hollywood company, they're yet to turn a profit on 700 million a year in sales. Mm-hmm. But they've got you know expensive bureaus all over the place. And like with us, you know, we know how to operate it. Unlike anything Hollywood, so we we think it's something that's going to be just. Are you, are you in too? You in? Are you are you a listener? I'm willing. I'm open-minded. That's, I guess that's the first thing I'll say. I'm open-minded. Wait a minute. If I'm investing in this thing, you better be in, dude. I'm open-minded. No, no, wait a minute. Let's, let's qualify this. Q, how old are you? I'm 34. So you're just Boy, barely. you're right on the edge. Yeah, we don't, yeah. By the time, when's okay, your birthday? Maybe, okay, there February. you go. So maybe we don't Yeah, we want, need you for about a month and a half. So maybe we don't want Q then. Hey, you know what? You're going to have to uh, earn our respect to be a listener, right? Hey. But you know, the, with, as with any broadcast business, I mean, the, the real key is the cost of programming. You've got to have massively, massively great uh, quality programming, but you've got to keep that cost way, way down. Yeah. As we used to say in the, in the radio business, when we would buy radio stations to put our comedy format on to kind of prime the pump for syndication, mm-hmm. we would tell our staff, we have to make nickels sound like manhole covers. Yeah. So we would have to go into a market, and we have to take that nickel and make it sound like you were just banging a manhole cover on the street, just bang, you know. And uh, and that's what we've always done. We could make a little tiny radio station sell for, uh, I mean, uh, sound like it was uh, had been on for years. So, so when, you know, we, we heard a lot about mentorship, right? If you think about all the mentors you mentioned, I mean, it's uh, something we talk about a lot. It's important in all of our and all of our growth, in my opinion, or we've had some people say, ah, you know, mentorship, it's, it, it's not, you know, so important or, you know, it hasn't been so important in their, in their careers, but for us it has, and for you it has. So it's, it's, we, it's been everything for me when it comes to training and learning. Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. And, and I'm, I'm exactly the same way. <clears throat> when we, when we think about, uh, you know, the American dream, I mean, you're, you're, you are the American dream also. I mean, that you, you couldn't have done this just anywhere in any, any, any country in the world. Yeah. Uh, you know, explain that a bit. Well, you know, I, as you know, a big part of my business is out of the country. And um, it's really interesting when you go to, you know, most of my stuff is in Asia. But I mean, you know, with a few, with outside of a few exceptions, you could never do this in China. You mm-hmm. could never do even what you're doing. I mean, you'd have to grease everybody all the way up. Mm-hmm. It's a whole different kind of thing. It's kind of like, the, you know, that's it, crazy. Uh, you could never do it in a third world country. Same thing. You know, no matter what the country is, there's their own form of a caste system. So mm-hmm. most people can very seldom do people break out. There are a few exceptions, but very seldom. Typically, it's the same families and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. You know, Gary, you take a look at what, what we've done and what a lot of our friends have done here. Anyone can do it. I mean, anybody can do it. Yeah. You know, and the way you mentor people, the way I mentor people, you've got this this whole network of folks that you're firing up and mentoring. I mean, but you you could not do this anywhere else. I mean, I can't think of anywhere no. except Venezuela. Where you? Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> now we are blessed, aren't we? To, to live, we are. to be born in America and to be able to do what we do in America. It's a it's a blessing. Like uh, you know, ninety five percent of the world doesn't have. Yeah. And so, okay. What else, what else, uh, Q? What else are we missing here? We've got. Uh, uh, you know, where, where are you going to go? Where's this? You're going to you're going to take this this network you're building and grow it to you know, to a nice size, and then flip that, to, and then and then you're going to be uh, you know like pushing sixty years old, and then you're going to retire and 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 go off and uh, you know sit on a porch somewhere. I'm guessing, right? That ain't going to happen. Huh? I don't see that one happening. You know what? I don't know. I don't know where it goes from there. I mean, this is literally this is kind of my. What I just, you know, it's really what I'm focused on and what I, you know, this thing has the potential to be so big that I, uh, you know, it's kind of like the comedy network. I mean, it just has unlimited potential in a market that's very unserved. And we know it's one of those spaces where, you know, Viacom could try to get in our space, but it'd cost them a fortune, you know. 
What's crazy is the fact that it's so unserved in this huge market we're talking about. Yeah. Right? Authenticity, honesty, and and uh, getting to the truth, right? And, and with great questioning and. But it has to be fun. But it and, has and to be not fun. Not angry. Not a but bunch again, of screaming and shouting. It's, it's got to be really fun. It's and still. It's just still amazing that that that's so different, right? It yeah. should, that should be the standard. And maybe yeah. and maybe someday you're going to make it the standard. Right? Well, you know what? These are these are uncharted waters. Like a lot of the stuff that you do. Think about the massive technology project you've got going on right now that, you know, when we, when we did the vacation format where it was like, well, you'll never get ratings. Uh, you know, when you, uh, and it's, it's literally, these are these things that have never been done before that have wide audiences just waiting to take it. Absolutely. Your technology company is the same thing. You've got a customer base out there that's insane. Yeah, you know, it dif- and uh, this we, is the we same need to thing. differentiate and think. Di- you know, you need to think differently, but you need to learn from old you know, old yeah. experiences too, right? Whether oh, of course, your own or other people's. I kind of uh, listen to. Well, you'll never get ratings and. Why hell is already Fox News? Like, you know, I sit there and go, okie dokie. Q, what uh, what else you got for this guy? I mean, this this has been awesome. I mean, uh, you know, to hear the hear. I mean, he can go on and on with all the all this all these different people he's met over his career. You'd be like, whoa, you know that guy or that girl. Well, for you, you know, ten uh, percent of them you're going to know because you're still a young buck. But uh, <laughs> for for me, it's like ninety percent of the names he, he talks about. I, I'm like, whoa, I remember seeing that guy on on Laughing, or I remember seeing this on uh, you but, know on Andy Griffin show or that guy. Or, think you know, think about you watched I mean, the Andy Griffin show. I still do. Oh, I love wow. Andy Griffin. Man, great, right? He's awesome. Yeah, they're I saw awesome. that. I was in some lobby the other day, and the reruns were on. It was terrific. Yeah, Barney's amazing. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, <laughs> Did you watch MASH? Uh, no, I didn't watch MASH. Oh, that's okay. Kind of, All right. I go, that's, that, that's, yeah, that's when I fell asleep when yeah. it came on. So, I, you know, that was like Andy a sound. That was a great show. I got, yeah. to, got to be good friends with Jamie Farr. And oh, did you really? Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. mentioned these shows. He's Bob and I used to. So with $25,000 game show, we would bring people in like, you know, star people who had mega recognition, but never, uh, you know, after their sitcom or after whatever, they kind of retired or went mm-hmm. away or did whatever. And so we would bring these guys in. So we had Jamie was one of our hosts that would come in and host uh, Dick Van Patten, huh. Eric Estrada, who was, you know, one <laughs> yeah. of my dear friends. And great, Yeah. And so these names are all highly recognizable, but they weren't working. So uh, we we would leverage that. But anyway, Jamie was one of those guys. That, but it is kind of funny. One time we had him in Branson. He was hosting the $25,000 game show. And uh, he always kind of felt like he didn't. And Jamie has always he has been great with his money. He and Joy have been great with their money. And But he uh, he always kind of felt like that role of Klinger, you know, the, the cross-dressing guy, typecast him. He could never work much after that. Oh. So we're in Branson, and we've got – there's a marketing lady there. And uh, – she says, I've got this great idea for this thing. Now, here's what I want to do. This is where, by the way, you have to know your audience, you have to know your people. She said, uh, okay, so at the show, what I want you to do, Jamie, is in the middle of the show, you'll come out with a big big hat on, like a big lady's hat, dressed like a woman. And then you take the hat off, and they were going, it's Jamie Farr. Or they, they, no, he goes, she said, it's Klinger. They'll be so surprised. <laughs> he looks at her, raises the roof, and he goes, I am Jamie Farr, the actor. I am not Klinger. <laughs> and we all just sat there looking at each other. And finally, one of the other guys said, okay, moving on to the next thing we've got. <laughs> That's funny. So, Man. Q, what would you get on all this? Well, this, uh, well and, uh, and this is what I want to say to, to the listeners, too. As you listen to this, and I encourage you to re-listen to it as well, he said a lot of amazing uh he has a lot of amazing golden nuggets through a lot of the stories that he's told you know first off the first one that uh, i got and i and i would say you you say like networking yes networking is critical but networking with no fear you know i think that's huge uh and of course you know you want to get real world experiences around you um but most important you want to get shared experience you kind of said shared experience to to gain your success i loved it when you said this too kent pursue your vision before you go into the woods you know, and, and that's key. You know, look at it, everything that you're trying to accomplish. Look at everything you're trying to do. And more importantly, respect the sages of the industry. And then they will eventually be your close friends. And you got a lot of them just from what you kind of they, talked they about from that perspective. They can always be your close friends, you know, beginning, end, whatever. But but, uh, yeah. but make sure you play that vision out. And first. then you have it here, too, where you uh, you talked about Dolly Parton. And, you know, generate she generates light wherever you go. And that's huge as well. Mm, yeah. Because if you think about it, that's how you can really get true happiness and things of that sort. But I think one of the biggest things that we kind of alluded to, it, mentorship is everything when it comes to learning and growing and 
in my mind, that's the reason why both of you all are where you're at today. So um, I think that was phenomenal. That was awesome. really good. Yeah, and also, also think about a couple of things I saw there. Think how many times he, he either pivoted into something was maybe more valuable than he thought originally, right? Or he, or he, you know, he learned, he learned that uh, boy, I was going in this direction, but I found this this nugget over here of, of opportunity, right? You call it a pivot or, or, or added value that you. Sometimes found. it's just a good old fashioned ass whipping when you go, <laughs> yeah, man, right. that didn't work. I better, you <laughs> know, I got right. I got to figure something else out here. Which is pretty cool. So, yeah. uh, so hey, I, I really appreciate you being here. Q, uh, good job with, uh, you know, railing him in here because I probably couldn't have <laughs> got him if you didn't, uh, you know, twist his arm. I appreciate <laughs> you guys that. Are Brother G, I, again, I love your podcast, what you guys are doing for entrepreneurs. And I try to turn as many young entrepreneurs onto it as I can because the, the information in this is invaluable. And it kind of reminds me of going back to my dad's schooling where he went to night <laughs> school. It's like, this is night school where you got the real people, the real people teaching, not professors teaching. Yeah, well, So you're key. teaching reality. I appreciate that. Sharing experiences, that's all we want to do, right? Get get the stories of, of, of real life world experiences and building business and entrepreneurship. There we go. So, And we'll see you all next time on Ditch Diggers CEO. See ya. If you enjoy this show, please share with anyone else you think will find value here. And please go to our website, ditchdiggerceo.com for show notes, links, video clips, and more nuggets of entrepreneurial wisdom. Don't forget to follow me on social media at ditchdiggerceo and at Gary Rabine. If you listen to our show and want to become more successful, you will become more successful. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Entrepreneurship, scaling business plans. Then I became the CEO man. We're blessed to build a business in America where soldiers fight for our freedom every day. Dad's work ethic was taught from the seat of a gravel truck rolling down highways. Entrepreneurship, scaling business plans, then I became the CEO man.